You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you're a 415er, you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? Back again, the 415ers podcast. Evan Giddings, Mark Grandy with you three times a week. Today is Wednesday. We were here on Tuesday, Friday, normally Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Download, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mark, we got a new intro. It's like it's a new feeling in San Francisco. The 49ers are back. They're two and two. They're 500. We got a little intro for the podcast. Things are good right now in the Bay. Things are suddenly looking up in the world after it was sky is falling after the Sunday night football loss to the Broncos. But now you win on primetime Monday night against a division rival and everyone's put that past them. And it's it's all good times now around the Bay Area. So uh, looking forward to another great episode of the 415ers. No doubt. No doubt. You can catch us on social media. I am at eGiddings10. Mark is at Mark Grandy. Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. Well, we mentioned it. I mean, back thing, things are back for the 49ers. They're back where they're supposed to be, where a lot of people, I think, anticipated kind of the, the floor for them after four games, which is a two and two start. Right now, they are on top of the Los Angeles Rams, on top of the NSC West. Every single team. Every single team is two and two, but they own the timebreaker against the Rams as well as the Seahawks. And then they'll get the Cardinals later on in the season. But where I want to start today is the 49ers getting back to playing 49ers football, right? We kind of touched on it to, to tail off the last episode, the reaction to the Monday night football game against the Rams, as far as the defense being absolute bulwarks getting to the backfield, not allowing a single touchdown, the running game being efficient enough with Jeff Wilson Jr., Jimmy Garoppolo doing just enough for the offense to maintain and keep its head above water, scoring 17 points. They get the late defensive touchdown from Talanoa Hufanga, and they ride to a 24-9 victory against the Rams. This seems to be the equation, and uh, right now the 49ers can use it potentially to... I mean, get where they need to go, which is back to the playoffs. But I don't know about you, Mark. I didn't necessarily expect them to win the division coming into this year, primarily just because of I didn't know what Trey Lance could be. But as we talked about with Trey Lance going down, Jimmy Garoppolo now back in the saddle, things are a little more clear, a little more projectable as far as where the floor is for this team. And maybe that floor is to win the NFC West. Well, I think as much of a factor as, you know, the quarterback situation for the 49ers and how they're playing, I think what should give 49er fans confidence about their ability to compete and ultimately potentially win this division, it's how the other teams are faring. I mean, everyone is two and two right now. No one has looked particularly good. I mean, no one is, no fan base is really encouraged with their play right now, I would argue that 49er fans are probably most encouraged just because of how dominant the defense uh, has been. But I mean, the the Rams coming off of, you know, a Super Bowl championship, they got absolutely run the first game of the season uh, against the Buffalo Bills and no shame losing to them. But it was not close. It was not competitive. The Rams did not stand a chance in that game. 
They let the Falcons stay close. They let the Cardinals stay close. Um, and then, of course, the Niners ran them out of Levi's Stadium thanks to, again, that defense. The Cardinals haven't looked impressive at all. And despite the fact that the Seahawks are 2-2, two and two, I would still hold that they are one of, if not the worst teams in football. And I, I think that the, the the whole season will show that. So I'm with you. And, and for me, it's less about the 49ers, Evan, and more just about the state of the NFC West around them. The Niners are 2-2. Two and two. Both of their wins are over division opponents. And they're sitting in a decent spot right now. I mean, you have a couple of winnable games, Carolina and Atlanta. I think if you win both those games, we'll come back on this conversation in a couple of weeks and think, all right, this is by far the favorite to win this division. Uh, you consider the the recent dominance the Niners have had over the Rams, especially in the regular season. You consider the fact that Arizona just seems dysfunctional and the fact that, that Seattle just simply isn't going to win that many more games the rest of the year. I'm with you. The win on Monday night over the Rams not only got the Niners' season back on track, but I think it catapulted them into the favorite to winning this NFC West. Yeah, right now they are number one, and I think they should be number one because of the reasons you laid out, and particularly that defense. I, I know that everyone kind of wants the, the offense to carry its weight, so to speak, but it's pretty freaking difficult to do when your defense <laughs> is playing at that high of a level. Like, you're not just going to be able to rise to the occasion and play to a near historic level on offense as well as defense. Not many teams can do that. So although there is somewhat of an outlier at this point with the offense, and we'll get into that moving forward here on the 415ers podcast, I do think that the defense right now is at such a state where they're going to be in every game and they might be able to play with the lead in every single game. Because as we talked about, you know, one, one of the questions that I have moving forward is like, how is this team one going to play with a lead? And two, how are they going to play against a team that can run the ball or effectively run the ball against them? Those two scenarios may not turn up once or, or twice throughout the season just because the defense has been so good. So right now, I think they are on track right now, literally at two and two, but on track to get back to the playoffs and win the division. And that would be huge for this team because last year they kind of had to go through the gauntlet, especially in the playoffs. They had to go on the road to Dallas. They had to go to Green Bay to be able to at least get one home game and reward the faithful at Levi's Stadium with a playoff game to me would be monumental. And also just to, to kind of reassure people like, all right, th this isn't a team that necessarily took people by surprise last year. They got out of the gate slowly. And in a lot of ways, I think, Mark, this season is sort of helping me put last year in 2021 into perspective because I'm not exactly sure what I thought about that team. They were 17 points away from not making the playoffs. They were also a dropped interception away from making the Super Bowl. So depending on how it goes this year in 2022 is also going to reflect, I think, on last year's group and potentially on how we see Shanahan and his postseason you know, three out of four years. Some people say it's three out of six years. It depends on how you do the math. But I think this season for the 49ers puts them in a place where we can look at not only this this year in this division potentially as saying, all right, the 49ers are number one of the best in the NFC West, could be the best in the conference, but also they have been one of the most consistent and best teams over the last two, maybe even 
three, four seasons. Yeah, I, I think if this is a season in which, you know, they kind of weather the injury storm, they play well, they make the postseason, not necessarily win the division, even though that, as we talked about, that's certainly on the table. But I think what this season would do if this is, you know, the fifth or sixth and potentially even the seventh and, and final playoff team in the NFC, I think it it further convinces you, Evan, that last season's postseason appearance wasn't just, you know, a fluke. And, you know, we can easily say, you know, they were that big, big comeback final regular season game of the year away from not making the playoffs. But as you mentioned, they were also one play away from making the Super Bowl. And you can kind of throw both of those out there kind of saying, well, you know, the way the ball bounces, it's, it's going to determine how your season goes. You can miss the playoffs. You could win the Super Bowl. It all comes down to, you know, some of those breaks that you get. But if, if this is a year in which the Niners are able to play well, to, despite all these injuries, and, you know, it's no excuse, but at some point we have to talk about these injuries as well. I mean, they are just stacking up. The Niners will likely be on their third left tackle. Colton McKivitt's going to be out a while, it seems now, with the sprained uh, MCL. Uh, he was replacing Trenton Williams at left tackle before that. So more issues on the offensive line. But if this is a season in which they can overcome those issues, make the playoffs, maybe win a playoff game, I think it it further confirms to us that last year was less about I don't know, luck in circumstances and more about this team continually overcoming bad situations and bad circumstances and accomplishing about as much as they possibly could considering those circumstances. I think it's easier to see that and admit that if this season follows a somewhat similar trajectory. Yeah, and speaking of injuries, some good news on that horizon. I know yesterday Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area reported the fact that Jason Verrett and... Uh, Jimmy Ward are expected to be practicing today here on Wednesday for the 49ers. Whether or not they'll be able to suit up soon is another question, but at least they'll get them back out onto the field and get them back towards returning to an already dominant defense. So although there's some offensive line issues right now, although it didn't appear to be any against the Los Angeles Rams on Monday night, everyone who filled in did a fantastic job. Um, and it was especially contrasted against a, a Rams offensive line that was also down to some of its third stringers, but they simply could not keep the 49ers out yeah. of the backfield. Meanwhile, the 49ers were able to keep the Rams out of the backfield. But as as you kind of laid out uh, on our Tuesday episode, Mark, the fact that there might be another level to this defense just because you're going to get a top 100 player back in Jimmy Ward. You're going to get a former Pro Bowl cornerback in Jason Verrett back. If he can stay healthy, add him to an already pretty good cornerback group, as well as Jimmy Ward on the back end, pairing him with Talanoa Hufunga. Who knows what level this defense could step up to? Yeah, I mean, suddenly, and you know, this is the com complete polar opposite of last year when the defensive secondary was so incredibly thin. I mean, it was what, Ambry Thomas making that interception of Matthew Stafford in that final regular season game to seal the 49ers making a postseason appearance. I have to double check the snap counts, but I'm not sure Ambry Thomas has played a defensive snap this year. I'm, I'm sure he's gotten his on, on special teams, but I, I don't think he's played a defensive snap. Um, you know, we saw Samuel Womack early and everyone has been raving about him. Uh, you know, fans, media, Niners, uh, coaches uh, as well. But it's been Diamador Lenore lately as the nickel corner. I think the Niners like him better against the run, perhaps, than Womack. But it's not not a knock on Womack. I mean, you have those guys. 
You're likely, as you mentioned, going to be getting Jimmy Ward and Jason Verrett back potentially this week. They're going to be practicing today, Wednesday, as you mentioned, but not really sure if that means they'll be playing. I would tend to guess not I'm with uh, you. In, in Carolina, but they're on they're on track to return relatively soon. So that's good news. And suddenly you're like, who are we going to play? I mean, Tayshawn Gibson was a the guy they just signed before the regular season started. He's played well. He's probably the odd man out, at least from the, the safety spot when Jimmy Ward comes back. But there's a chance you could move Jimmy Ward to, you know, that nickel corner spot as well, which is currently being occupied by Diamador Lenore. Suddenly, Evan, you have a wealth of of options in the defensive secondary, which has not been the case for the 49ers really in the Kyle Shanahan era. And, and he was actually asked on his on his weekly conference call on Tuesday. Do you think this is the best defensive secondary you've had in your time in San Francisco? And he said, well, it's early, but we we have the opportunity to do that. And he was just kind of talking about all the bodies that they have and, and how great Talano Hufanga has, has played recently. So it's kind of a unique situation the Niners are in where they have too many good bodies, assuming that you know everyone gets back healthy and everyone else stays healthy in that defensive secondary. It's it's a it's a new position the Niners will be in defensively in that area because they just simply have not had those options in the past. And I think you consider that along with everything else we've just touched on. Um, and it, that's a big reason why the 49ers, I think, are looking at this as their division to win, their division to lose. They should be, you know, the ones determining this division winner, um, m- partly and maybe mostly because of their defense and the fact that they would expect it to only get better. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think that at least just looking at the rosters, I mean, we talked about some of the shortcomings of the Rams in, in yesterday's Ugh. episode, especially offensively. Like they look bad. whether the Niners are, are putting up prolific points and, and stats on offense, like just the eye test tells you that the Niners are head and shoulders above the Rams. And from what I've seen so far, the Cardinals. I, I know Arizona's two and two. I know they've well they're they're you know a couple of fluke fourth play two-point conversions away from being one and three against the you know the Las Vegas Raiders. Like they have not looked exactly stout to begin their season, unlike last year when they were just running away with the, the division originally. So right now to me, it's even though every team is two and two, I'm I'm absolutely with you. The eye test tells me that the 49ers are the best team in the NFC West. And statistically it's backed up right now. I believe they're the only team in the division with a positive point differential. And of course they also have statistically the best defense in the league. They have a quality running game. That's right now, middle of the pack. They have a passing game that at least in terms of, you know, quarterback rating is not great, but it's still above the likes of the Rams slightly. So everything added up together right now, the 49ers have to be number one, even though their win total is, puts them even with the rest of the NFC West. Yeah, Niners plus 25 point differential. The next best is Arizona minus 15. So that's the difference in the NFC West. You also look throughout the rest of the NFC, the only team with a better point differential than the San Francisco 49ers is the lone undefeated team in the NFL. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. They're at plus 44 through four games. Niners second best point differential in the NFC at plus 25. Again, a big reason is because they had blowout wins against the Seahawks and and now the Rams. And despite the fact that you're two and two, you still have the second best point differential margin, which is interesting. 
One quick note about the Rams. Uh, I know we got a transition here, but no, no, no. Uh, keep, keep dumping on them. Let's go. <laughs> this I actually have to credit uh, Ray Ratto, host of Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game for this one. Oh, I hate uh, that guy. <laughs> this stat kind of just hidden in the box score. So the Rams, they ran 73 offensive plays on Monday night. You take out the seven sacks. So you have 66 plays, non-sack offensive plays for the Rams. 33 of those 66, so an even 50% of those plays were targets to Cooper Cup or Tyler Higbee. Half of the non-sack offensive plays, not just passing plays, running plays included. Half of all of their offensive plays that did not result in a sack were targeting Cooper Cup or Tyler Higby. I don't care how good those two players are. That is not a recipe for success. And if that continues for the Rams, they will struggle not only to win the division, but they will struggle to make the playoffs. You heard it here first on the 415ers podcast, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you as always. Getting away from the Rams and back to the 49ers, I, I do think you brought up something Kind of interesting, especially it just popped into my mind when you mentioned the secondary, the amount of depth that this defense has back there, because something that we sort of touched on but didn't really get into in the last episode was the comparison between this defense and the 2019 defense. Of course, one that helped the Niners go 13-3, and go to the Super Bowl, come up just a bit short against the Kansas City Chiefs, but had them right there. The difference to me in that team, I mean, I, I know they had some bigger talent. They were a little bit younger on the outside. I mean, a couple of these guys were on that group. If you're looking at, um, you know, the likes of Emmanuel Mosley on the outside. Uh, but, you know, Richard Sherman sort of led the way for that corner group. Uh, Kwan Williams, Tervarius Moore, like those were guys that were kind of in and out, um, but were very young. I mean, Mosley was 23 years old. Moore was 23 years old. Uh, Kella Witherspoon, 24 years old on that team. Like, they have a lot more, I think, leadership and veteran presence on the outside because we, we don't need to spend much time talking about how great the defensive line has been. Even though Eric Armstead might be dealing with a foot injury, to me, they're the deepest defensive line in the league. Their linebackers, even with the absence of Aziz Al-Shair, has looked like they haven't missed a, a, a beat with Fred Warner along with Dre Greenlaw, who has really come into his own and has looked, especially on Monday night, like Navarro Bowman-esque. Um, but to me, that may be the one area where I could say, okay, this, this team could rival that defense because of its corner play and because it might be a little bit deeper on the outside top heavy. I'm not sure if there's any one-on-one -on -one corner that's going to be, you know, as, as good as Richard Sherman was for that group. But to me, if you're looking at a, a comparison and trying to, to figure out which defense is better, granted, it's been four games there's a long way to go, but on paper, they're on pace to be better than that defense. And I think if you want to make a case, the one area where you're saying, all right, this is where they have the edge to me would be on the outside. Yeah, certainly. I think that, you know, is, is what I was mentioning earlier. This is a, a situation that the Niners have never really had under Kyle Shanahan. I think you could even say even back to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it was it's always been the front seven that's been the strength of the 49ers defenses for a long time now. It's never really been the secondary. They've had good players there. You mentioned Richard Sherman, but he he wasn't in his prime at that point. He still was a really good player and and one of the best players in the Niners secondary in 2019 that run to the Super Bowl. Um, but they haven't really had this depth. And 
I, I agree that that I think is what separates um, that 2019 defense and this 2022 defense. Now it's still early. Of course, you're four games in, but you look at some of the numbers and some of the returns here, the 49ers are allowing 3.8 yards per play. And again, just four games in, you know, you, you play one bad game where you give up 30 points and that number is going to jump a lot because it's a relatively small sample size, but 3.8. When you consider some of the, the better offenses from recent memory, I mean, the, the 2015 Broncos, 4.4 yards per play. 2013 Seahawks, 4.4 yards per play. Those 2019 49ers, 4.7 yards per play. I mean, so you're a half a yard to about a whole yard uh, worse than the current Niners at 3.8 yards per play. And I would argue, even though it is early, that the way that the, the NFL game is being played now, even different than it was in 2013 and 2015, there has been an offensive explosion. So that 3.8 number is even more impressive than it would have been back in 2013, 2014, 2015. Again, it's early. We're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves. But that 3.8 number is historically relevant and impressive. And if the Niners are even anywhere near that ballpark towards the end of the year, this will go down as not only the best defense in the NFL this year, but one of the best in recent memory in the NFL. Well, and just to back you up, I believe I saw a stat that no team has had a 3.8 yard per play throughout an entire season, grant you, average since the 1977 season. So, you know, we're not just look, talking about the Legion of Boom. We're talking about the 2000 Ravens. We're talking about, you know, great defenses from the 90s, from the 80s, from the late 70s. Um, I mean, even some of the great defenses that the Niners had, you know, taking a look at the 94 team or before that, like there's a lot of excellent defenses in times where maybe passing and points were less uh, less high than they are now. But still, I mean, they're they're on pace to go down as as one of the best. And that's the crazy part to me, too, is I mean, I sort of mentioned it last episode, but like if they did do it, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked just because of how good they have looked so far. Like the, the whole premise that defense travels sometimes can get a bit misconstrued. But when you have a team that's this deep and that has already kind of gotten through a couple of injuries, some of them more impactful than others, but have larger part maintained the same core. Um, this is a team that look, yeah, may give up some points down the road to a, you know, to a chiefs team, maybe a Cardinals team um, looking at a chargers team. That's pretty good on offense, but also then again, you got the next couple of weeks against the, the Panthers and the Falcons who offensively are not very good teams. And in fact, next this weekend against the Panthers, uh, Baker Mayfield has been one of the worst quarterbacks in football. So as much as you might give up a four and a half yard per play game against one of those better offenses, you might also hold the Panthers to less than three and a half, less than 3.8. And they might still be right back on track where they are this week after next week. Oh my God. That I mean, we'll talk about, you know, that Panthers game more on, on the Friday uh, edition of the podcast, but that might be just a, a bloodbath for the Panthers offensively. I mean, Christian McCaffrey is special. He'll probably pull a couple of crazy plays off and, and get the team, you know, in, in scoring range and, and maybe he'll break a touchdown himself, but Baker Mayfield has just looked so bad that that might be a <laughs> tough game to watch on Sunday. I mean, the Niners defense is so good and Baker Mayfield has looked so bad. I mean, DJ Moore is one of the more talented receivers in the NFL and he's essentially a non-factor uh, against, you know, 
middle of the pack defenses in this in this league. So I am I, I I'm looking forward to it, obviously, because I I, I want to see the 49ers play well and see that defense show off. But it it might be a relatively ugly display of offense in that game, and it might be kind of difficult to watch, kind of like a train wreck. Like you you just can't take your eyes away because it's so bad. Do you think that the defense for the 49ers had its best performance of the season against the Rams? Like that was that was at its best. I think the Niners players would tell you that. Uh, I know if, what Fred Warner said after the Broncos game, which you know they gave up nine points against a future Hall of That's Fame was, quarterback. Yeah, they're, they're they're pretty good in Denver. Yeah, but Fred Warner said, "Man, we didn't force any turnovers, so you know nine points. And what what does it really mean when you don't force a turnover and give your offense chances to score?" Uh, and they forced multiple turnovers against the Rams. Uh, so he would probably tell you uh, the Rams' performance was better. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it comes down to whose offense do you respect more, the Rams or the or the Broncos? And I guess I would say the Rams at this point. So I think I would agree with Fred Warner and say that the Rams was the better defensive performance. Yeah, I'm with you. It just feels like you could kind of make a case almost for, for the last three games. I mean, I know the Seahawks are not very good, but defense didn't give up a single point. I mean, it was a special teams touchdown that put Seattle on the board. So, I mean, it's that, that that's the thing. We're basically splitting hairs here <laughs> about three games in which the defense is absolutely dominated. Yeah. When, when uh, you can easily make a case for the last three games, your team is probably. Playing pretty well. <laughs> um, And a big part of that. And, and I, I want to use this to kind of go off on a tangent for a sec about Talanoa Hufanga. And we spent a lot of time, in the last episode, you know, just going through how remarkable his pick six was, how instinctual it was, how much of a gamble it was, according to Kyle Shanahan, in a play where, quote, you better be right when you make that play because, look, if you're up eight and that's a wheel route, Cooper Cup's taking that to the crib and we might have ourselves a tie game. So Talanoa Hufanga makes a risky play, makes an educated guess, and he guessed right. And he sealed the game for the 49ers. And that's why, although people have understandably compared him to the great Troy Polamalu, like they're both Polynesian, they both play a similar position, they both went to USC. To me, it's low-hanging fruit. And I don't think they are necessarily comparable because, at least when I think of Polamalu, I think of a big hitter, I think of an acrobatic player. And although Hufanga has some of those athletic traits, to me, he's much more like an Ed Reed than a Troy Polamalu because Ed Reed was a guy that was allowed to play with his head as much as his physical gifts. And he was a guy that, look, on the great Ravens defenses of the early 2000s, like they kind of just let him play center field. And sometimes, no matter what the defense was, he just did what he wanted to. And that's kind of how Talanoa Hufanga plays to me, or at least has so far with this 49ers defense as he's grown into himself in his second season. He plays with almost a feel for the game that you can't really game plan for because you don't exactly know what he's going to do. He saw that pick or that pick six that sealed the game. As he mentioned, it was something on tape earlier that week. He recognized a play earlier in the game. There was a similar setup late, and he jumped the route knowing exactly where the ball was going to be, not even considering the fact that he might get beat deep. That, to me, is more of an Ed Reed play than a Paulo Malu play, and why I would compare his instincts right now to the Hall of Famer of the Ravens rather than the Steelers. That's interesting. It is always funny when, you know, I think I think Troy Aikman said on the Monday Night Football broadcast, 
you know, Talanoa Hufunga, he really reminds you of Troy Polamalu. Like, yeah, you don't say. I mean, that's what everyone <laughs> has been saying about Talanoa Hufunga. And I think it's, it's, I mean, it's a very easy comparison to make. And as you mentioned, low-hanging fruit. There are certainly some similarities um, that are hard to ignore. I forgot uh, about the big hair. That was my bad. The, the big hair as well. And, you know, their safety likes to play up in the box. And, and you see him blitz off the edge, try to time the snap count. We don't see that quite as much from Hufanga, but you do see it every so often. I mean, he had that great tackle in the backfield. I, I believe it was the, the Broncos game where he just timed the, the snap and was unblocked in the backfield and could have either sacked the quarterback or tackled the running back, whichever got the ball. Um, but I, I do like that comparison specifically, you know, about Ed Reed and how he used his his mind and kind of his ability to see the game. Uh, to his benefit. And it was what, what Nick Bosa said about Talano Hufanga after the game on Monday night. He said, honestly, I think that Hufanga's mind is his best asset. The way that he sees and can understand the game and then turns that into, you know, jumping routes, uh, getting around blockers, seeing how the play is flowing and putting himself in the best position to make a tackle, whether it's seeing things pre-play, seeing things as the routes are being run, realizing oh, this is a screen, I need to jump it and, you know, avoid this blocker and potentially pick off this ball and return it to the house. I mean, that's what that play was. It was all instincts because of the way that he sees the game, the way that he understands and breaks down tape. Um, so I would argue that that Nick Bosa would probably agree with you that the way that Talanoa Hufunga sees the game and then acts on those instincts is similar to one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game in Ed Reed. So uh, I like the comparison. Yeah, I, I can see it. Obviously, we're getting ahead of ourselves. There, there's a long <laughs> way to go in Hufanga's career, but just kind of those book kind of those it Hall of Famer book. Yeah, get him the yellow, <laughs> get him the gold jacket right now. Uh, leave it in his locker in Carolina. Uh, no, I, I just, I, I just think that you know we're we're always looking to kind of compare players and put players on a pedestal and you know make these obvious comps and um i don't know to me it, it just there, there's more similarities between like a guy who who nick bo said said plays more with his head rather than than his his gifts his physical gifts because also and you mentioned it too like hufanga at least coming out of college wasn't nearly lauded for you know his his physical attributes like he wasn't a combine monster but he was the Pac-12 player the defensive player of the year because he was always around the football and always made plays so um that's just kind of the way i see it a reminder to everyone to go download and subscribe along with rate the podcast the 415ers coming at you three times a week monday wednesday friday usually with evan giddings and mark grandy as always i'm on twitter at egiddings10 mark is on twitter at mark grandy mark with a c grandy with an i We've spent a lot of time talking about the defense, and we'll continue to talk about the defense because they absolutely deserve it. As we've discussed throughout the first 30 minutes of this podcast, they're on a historic pace. That means that for the 49ers to put together a winning equation, the offense does not need to meet the defense of the 49ers. I don't think they have it in them, but they need to be what they were against the Rams on Monday Night Football which is just all right, just average. And above average probably gets you to a 15-point victory. Like, that's at least where I'm at with this team, Mark. The question that I have is concerning the second half of football games so far. Because in the first four games of season, even in a in a relatively, I would say, dominating performance against the Rams, they scored three points on offense 
in the second half. In, against the Broncos, they scored three points in the second half. Against the Seahawks, they scored seven points in the second half. And against the Bears, they had three. They have scored one touchdown in the second half of the first four games this season. That's something. That's certainly something to raise your eyebrows at. And I know that the first two games you can kind of throw out just because of the quarterback situation. But I'm looking this weekend specifically against Carolina and then moving forward for the 49ers to continue to try and step on opponents' throats. Whereas so far, granted, the last two opponents have been potentially playoff teams, but they have not been able to do it yet to the point where fans feel comfortable with a lead in the second half. Yeah, and there was obviously the touchdown the Niners scored in this game, but that was, of course, by the defense, Salano Hufanga. So can't credit the offense for that one. Um, and then you you look, I mean, it's okay, you know, if you're not scoring points and, and the opponent isn't either. The opponents have scored 30 in second halves this year. Seven of those, though, on a special teams bl- uh, play that blocked field goal return for a touchdown by Seattle. So if you're looking at points only scored by, you know, the Niners offense, and then, you know, the opponent's offense against the Niners' defense, it's 30-16 to 16, uh, in favor of opponents in, in the second half of games. And, you know, 30 points in four second halves, that's not bad defensively at all. Uh, a lot of that is because of that first game, the breakdowns against Justin Fields and the Bears. I mean, they scored 19 points in the second half, all of their 19 points in the second half of that game there. Kind of, you know, I mean, that was just a weird game all the way around. So I say all that to say I'm not really too worried about the Niners defensively in the second half, despite the fact that when there have been some breakdowns, it's been defensively uh, in that second half. But offensively in the second half is is a bit of an issue. I will say, you know, Kyle Shanahan admitted on his weekly conference call on Tuesday that the way that the, his defense is performing is always, you know, kind of a, a factor in how he's calling games offensively. He, you know, is aware that the Niners defense was just incredible on Monday night against the Rams. He's not going to be calling, you know, these shots down the field, chances, trying to get six points, you know, for worry of an interception, giving the ball right back to the Rams offense. He's going to be more methodical. He's going to be more conservative. He's going to try to eat clock. He's going to try to, you know, get in field goal range and allow Robbie Gold to try to make one. And I think we have to also say that Gold missed a 42-yard field goal on Monday night. That would have been three more points, you know, no Niner fan is going to be ecstatic about a field goal, but that would have iced the game as well. Um, and it was, you know, Shanahan's offense, Jimmy Garoppolo and Debo Samuel and Jeff Wilson Jr. that got them into field goal range. Um, so there's obviously always moments here or there where you could say, well, they should have scored more than that. And it, it wasn't really anyone's blame on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but I'm with you. They, they do need to figure it out a little bit more in the second half offensively, because if that, you know, keeps up and you're playing against some of these better quarterbacks, you know, when you get towards the end of the regular season, when you need a win, when you need a score, uh, you know, generally the, the best quarterbacks and it's happened against the Niners multiple times in the postseason and, you know, close games at the end of the regular season. Uh, it's hard, no matter who the defense is sometimes to stop the truly elite quarterbacks in this league. 
Um, so you're going to need your offense to support you just a little bit. And as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, it doesn't need to be 30 points a game. You score 21 points in the second half. It does not need to be that with this defense, but it has to be more than what they're averaging four offensive points per second half uh, in game so far this year. That's just simply not going to cut it. No. And, and again, yeah, we're not, we're not asking for, for a 19 point explosion like the bears had in week one. That demands a lot of breakdowns on an opposing defense that demands potentially a, a monsoon or other inclement conditions to go awry for you to like that. That is a perfect storm. And I'm not just saying that because of the weather in Chicago, like, <laughs> like the 49ers in the second half, I think of because how they look in the first half of games is also why a lot of people are concerned because look, Shanahan, I don't think he necessarily calls the game that much differently. But aesthetically, it appears like they are more conservative with a lead coming out of breaks. Now, I think it was against the Rams on the first drive of the second half. They had a couple of good looks. Uh, Jimmy missed. I think that's when Jimmy did not throw the ball to use check on a go route. And that would have been on third down. That would have extended that drive. Instead, they go three and out. I mean, so it's not like Kyle is is unafraid to go into his bag to try and you know, create big chunk plays in second halves of games. But when you see him come out and run the ball twice and face a third and long, I think a lot of people start to wonder, okay, are you getting, are you getting kind of tight? Are you getting a little antsy with it, with a, you know, a seven or eight point lead in a ball game. And when other teams continue to just sort of chip away and the defense for the Niners, we, we described as being somehow better than Ben, but don't break, but you know, giving up 10 plus play drives and then only allowing three points is certainly something to believe in if you're Shanahan. And that's why we thought that kicking the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and goal was the correct decision to make, because if you're going to believe in your team, you're going to believe in your identity. You have to trust your defense to hold a one score lead. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but when I'm looking at the first four games and seeing one touchdown in the second half, like I do then start to kind of peel my eyes back and, and sort of look toward the sideline. Like, all right, well, like, what are you, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I do want to see them be a little more aggressive, but I also understand that with Jimmy Garoppolo, who throughout the Monday night football game had not made one of those. Oh no throws yet. You don't want to let him make that throw to let the Rams get back into the game. So, you know, it's, it, it's a fine line. They walk, but I understand where people are just kind of asking for a little bit more, um, especially being willing to throw the ball early in downs in the second half of games. That's something that could change. Again, we've only seen Jimmy Garoppolo start two games for the Niners so far this year. Second half of Denver was absolutely abhorrent. Meanwhile, he was better against the Rams, though still not great. I expect him to be better against Carolina as well as Atlanta moving forward. Um, but, you know, I, I'm just kind of I, I'm I'm concerned about the second half because, like you mentioned, Mark, you leave the door open, maybe not for a Baker Mayfield, maybe not for a Marcus Mariota, but certainly for a Patrick Mahomes and for an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or teams that you might have to see if you're going to try and make a deep playoff run. Hey, first of all, don't you doubt Marcus Mariota, okay? Let's go Ducks. <laughs> oh, no, but yeah, I mean, I I'm with you. Uh, the defense or the offense needs to support the defense a little bit more. I'm not exactly sure where I fall down, though, in, in this discussion. I am with you in terms of Shanahan's decision to kick the field goal early fourth quarter. 
you're up by five. The the three points makes it an eight point lead. Your your two point conversion proof at that point. At the worst case, you feel like you're headed for overtime in that situation. I think that's the right call. But I know there's also a lot of 49er fans saying, you know, go for you know the the knockout, go for the touchdown, make this a two score game. The Rams aren't even going to score once. It's a two-score game and the game's completely over. But if the Rams aren't even going to score once, punch it in the end zone once, why would you take that chance? I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, I think you're in agreement with me here that the field goal was the right decision in that moment. But then I would argue, I think you can kind of make those similar style decisions, you know, earlier in the drive. When you're around midfield, you're facing a second and, you know, seven. Do you want to run the ball or do you want to throw the ball? I feel like going forward on, I mean, it's its not exactly the same, but it's a similar line of thinking. Going forward on fourth and goal from the one to make it a two-score lead is is similar to taking a shot on a relatively early down. Like, its its is it worth the risk? Is Jimmy Garoppolo going to get sacked, fumble the ball? Is he going to throw an interception? Is the young offensive line going to fail in protection and is a play going to get blown up? Is Aaron Donald going to finally make his presence felt in this game, which he was relatively unheard of in, in the game on Monday night? If I'm Kyle Shanahan, I have a five-point lead, whatever the lead is. It's a one-score game in the second half, and I know the defense is absolutely you know playing lights out. I'm confident they're not giving up a touchdown. Maybe the Rams get another field goal. I'm sorry, it's going to be hard for me to be willing to take a risk with the quarterback who has proven he is relatively inconsistent throwing the ball down the field. I'm going to be content running the ball, trying to get first downs that way, throwing when I absolutely have to, but wasting clock, wasting clock, wasting clock, trying to save the defense a few more minutes on the sideline to get their rest, get ready for another defensive stop because we'll likely need it. And you're kind of rolling with the punches that way because the other option is, yes, maybe you do score a touchdown and you put the game out of reach, but maybe you put your defense in a terrible situation because your offense could not keep the ball on their side. I don't know. I I definitely see Kyle Shanahan's side. I understand the frustration, but I think the frustration ultimately should come down on this team just not having a quarterback that their court, that their head coach trusts enough to maybe take some of those chances. I'm sure if Kyle Shanahan had someone that he felt was better and more equipped to do this, then they would be making different decisions. But considering what they have, I think Kyle Shanahan has determined, and I probably agree with him, that this course of action, being conservative, running the ball, eating clock, is probably their best course moving forward. Yeah, I understand that. But there's also quarterbacks throughout the league that, at least this weekend, and one of them fell in reaction to playing conservatively in the second half and and doing what you're talking about. And I'm looking at two teams. I'm looking at one, the Baltimore Ravens, that blew a 17-point lead. Granted, it's the Buffalo Bills. That's a good team in the rain. The other team is the Los Angeles Chargers, who had a 20-point lead at the half. And Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, two quarterbacks I think we can safely say are better than Jimmy Garoppolo were victims of conservative play calling. One of them nearly lost the game in the Chargers to a Houston Texans team. It was absolutely horrific. And then the Baltimore Ravens, who had a chance potentially to win, but because of a you know fourth down and goal decision, who knows what happens if they take the points. Buffalo, regardless, goes down and kicks a 
field goal, they win 23-20 as a 17-point blown lead by the Ravens. So, look, I, I, I understand where you're coming from with Jimmy, and I do want to end on this because I think that there's a number to me that Jimmy has to meet, Garoppolo has to meet for them to be successful, especially passing. And that is a quarterback rating above average. Like in the in the two games that they've won, their quarterbacks have had a quarterback rating. It's not the perfect stat, but it's pretty much all encompassing. It's a good barometer. A quarterback rating of 100 against Seattle as well as Los Angeles. Right now, the average quarterback rating in the league is about 88. And if you want to say, okay, well, that's four games, fine. In 2021, the average quarterback rating across the league was 90. If Jimmy Garoppolo is above that, I believe the Niners should win almost every single game. So it is going to be average and is going to be slightly above it as he was against the Rams, as well as the Seattle Seahawks. Then to me, I, I like I'm okay with, with trying to get a little more aggressive in the second half as to avoid a situation, even if you have a good quarterback. Uh, I know we got to wrap up here in a minute, but I, I just, I I think the the Baltimore Ravens comparison specifically week 4 is is a, a really really tough comparison to make um because I mean the Ravens you mentioned you know conservative play calling in the second half whatever the situation is they went for it on fourth and goal from the two in a tie game with 4 minutes left that's not conservative that's that's the opposite of conservative they should have taken the points and what that ultimately was is John Harbaugh saying I do not trust my defense um, and you can understand why. You look at the Niners' uh, yards allowed per game, 234 and a half per game. You look at the Ravens, 315.3 yards per game, and that is just the passing game. That's not even factoring in the run game. So the Ravens have one of the worst defenses in the league, and yet, uh, you know, John Harbaugh is understanding that and decided to go for it, even though he should not have. Um, and then on the other side, uh, you know, the the Chargers, they don't have nearly as good of a defense as the 49ers either. So I'm not sure that those two comparisons uh, are all that even. Well, that'll uh, wrap up this edition of the 415ers podcast. Mark Randy and Evan Giddings with another edition of the podcast. Please make sure you like, uh, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including on the Odyssey app. Evan and I will be back on uh, Friday for another edition of the 415ers. That'll be a preview of the Carolina Panthers as the Niners travel to the East Coast. They'll be staying out East uh, for two weeks after the Panthers. They take on the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta. They'll be staying at the uh, Greenbrier over the next uh, couple uh, of days between those two games. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Uh, we'll see you again on Friday. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you again next time. 